He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today, joined by somebody who has had played a really cool part in my career and, uh, you know, played a cool part in the evolution of covering the sport, I think, with, with some of the stuff he did early in his career. Now he wrote a damn book. Uh, <laughs> so, so just really excited to talk to somebody I've always really looked up to, Mike Prada of The Athletic, who is, who is out here talking about his book, Spaced Out. Uh, I gotta find the subtext here. I started scrolling it's literally, when I was it's talking. It's literally to you. right in front of you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a little, little fine there. So how the how NBA's, NBA's three point revolution changed everything you thought you knew about basketball. I feel like I need to like do the thing with Bart Simpson on the, the chalkboard screen, <laughs> yeah. just writing that down for the book promotion, so I remember. <laughs> yeah, have you reached the point where like you say something often enough, it sounds weird, like in 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 marketing the book. Done- I haven't gotten there yet because, you know, believe it or not, this is one of the first podcasts that oh, I've been man. on since the book actually arrived. I'm, uh, I've I'm, been done a couple since, but I'm, before. I'm honored. I am legitimate. No, I really am honored to talk to you and talk about this thing. It's a really cool project. We have been able to watch the evolution of sports, I think, in general, right, as, as information has found its way into there and different backgrounds of, of executives and stuff have, have played its role in how the sport has just sports in general have all changed uh, before our eyes in basketball. The main, I think one of the main sources of the way that the sport looks now is this evolution of spacing and geometry on a court and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So it's a, it's a fascinating topic that you, that you attacked here. And I'm just kind of curious over the course of writing this book, uh, is there anything that really kind of took you by surprise that, that, you thought you were going to be getting into you had you 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 anticipated things flowing a certain way is there anything that that over the course of writing it you you that really kind of shocked you you know it's interesting I, in a book like this i think the hardest part is not where to go but is distillation you know you could go in so many different directions yeah. and so many different places with this that like honestly the and I, i'm an editor first so this is something i obsess over so you know, structurally, actually, like the outline that I presented to the publisher and what finally kind of resulted is not that far off. Like that, it, there weren't that many surprises in terms of the overall structure. But within each chapter, I would say like almost every journey I took uh, with some in more particular than others went in very different places than I thought it might go. Uh, when I was writing about this, a chapter on the positional uh the idea of how I don't like the the term positionalist and the positional revolution uh, and just that whole state of how the game has changed. That chapter, I did not think I would be looking at James Naismith's, um, you know, autobiographies yeah. and kind of looking through box scores of 1895 games. And uh, was he like doing... a, the original stretch for Dr. <laughs> you know, there were nine players in the original per team in the original basketball game. Really? Do you know what the uh, positions that they were originated that they kind of organized themselves into were? No, but I legitimately can't wait to find out. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you 
guard. Okay. Forward. Okay. Center. That's it. Oh man, I thought we were gonna get like no a chaser in. No, that... <laughs> <laughs> no, literally the centers were in the middle because uh-huh. that was the center of the court where they did the center jump. The forwards were attacking their opponent's basket, and the guards were defending their basket. Now, isn't that amazing? That oh. like kind of. It's huh. literally they, it, it was a literal thing, guard, forward, center. Yeah. Is how they looked at it. And like these are the positions that we've used for ever since. We still yeah. use them. Uh so it just sort of it kind of crystallized in my mind this idea that like why are we so wedded to like kind of what these things are uh and what they do. They change all the time. So I didn't expect that. And then there's one chapter in particular, I would say, on passing in court vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that has changed in an era where everybody's standing further apart from each other. And, you know, just my feeling that this is a passing revolution. That chapter goes into like vision studies of like kind of how your eye tracking works and, you know, what, how our eyes look. Like I went deep into academia there and I did not expect to do that. That chapter took a long time to put together. So, those in particular, but really, like within every chapter, there was some journey that I took, um, some rabbit hole down the road that I maybe didn't expect to when I first started it. And it was really important for me to take those journeys and to kind of wrap something up in a way that you might not necessarily think of, but it, it all kind of had to fit neatly. And that, that was probably the biggest challenge. It's it's interesting, the the whole concept of like when, when, when you take when when you take on because you know, originally, what, what I know you for most is the Praetis pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And it was these, it was these almost snapshots of what was going on on a court and why a certain result was coming out the way that it was, and it was explaining it through um, in that way. How much did that, you know, your approach to that prepare you for? Again, a concept that, like, I think a tough, a, a difficult part in writing this book is. The evolution is still taking place. So, yeah, like, yeah. Lo- like, it, 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 how did you know distilling the evolution as it was happening and documenting it as it was happening, you know, and really sped up over the course of your career? How did that prepare you for this project, which is, you know, very different, I think, from 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 what you were doing, you know, especially when we were at SB Nation together. Yeah, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but one of the things I've always tried to do, and certainly as a have gone on with doing these sorts of things is that, and I tell, I tell exes people who do this all the time uh, in my editing capacity, I always tell them the story need the story needs to work without any images or gifts. Mm-hmm. If you just took them all away, it still has to make sense. They need to be supplements to what you're writing. Yeah. And to me, that is an approach that made this easier. Because literally, I couldn't put these in. Although, right. if you if you notice in the book, like one of the cool, you know, you, this was something that I really wanted to do, um, and it took a little bit of time for us to actually put it together. But I'm really happy with how it came out. Is that instead of sort of clipboard alignments of like X's and O's, I'm literally showing you a chord alignment from certain moments in games in NBA history. Yeah, I'm Those looking at graphics. one here. June 1st, 1994, Pacers at Knicks, Eastern mm-hmm. Conference game, two. To, it's tied, you got the situation, all that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, so that involved really, I was watching that play. I had to sort of take 
I was kind of hoping I could just send them the image and they could just make it look cool. But no, they were like, now nah, you actually have to like draw what's going on a little bit for us. You have mm-hmm. to like, so the idea was that I want to put you back into this moment. You can see where the players are standing and where they're going is just changes over time. It goes like out, out, out. <laughs> when you look at, at that case, all the they're all in the three point. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was the idea, but that, that sort of helped me at least kind of put a visual to what I was writing. But um, yeah, I would say that, that that's a big key is if you can write something and it makes sense without images, then you can just add those over the top. What I see so often is like kind of people writing to the clip and mm-hmm. to some degree, maybe you have to do that for legal reasons. Um, but really to me, like it, they need to be supplements to what you're, you're to the story you're telling. I think telling using these clips and the gifts and whatever, it's as much a form of storytelling as writing a feature, if not more so. You know, you have to tell a story. And so I think that really helped a lot. But no, it was the hardest part was just like, it's just a lot. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm used to. I'm used you to just said you of, went back to the 1890s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just writing wise, I would look at my word count. I would look at what I've done and I'm like, God, I have this much more to go. No, I have nobody but my editor to give me any feedback on this. Like, I can't tweet this piece out and get mm-hmm. people it was like that was the hardest part i would say and every mm. writer says that but it it was it was jarring to me for sure huh uh you 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 document obviously the 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 steps that led us to where we are now right and and it is jarring to look at this you know game situation where the furthest player from the basket is number 3 john starks and even mm-hmm. he is like I would say 20 ish feet away from the basket nowadays, you know, if we were to take a snapshot of, of a game and I'm sure you probably have them, you know, that as, as we get, you know, further down the path, you you get, you get guys standing 40 feet from, from Mm -hmm. the basket. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, sports and, and, and the people who run sports and men are not, usually very open to change right <laughs> <laughs> and and so i'm just kind of curious like as you were documenting this evolution uh, what stood out to you like what was the what 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 did it take uh from what from your research what did it take for for these stubborn you know macho men to finally embrace, hey, actually, the shot that gives you an extra point, we should take more of those. Like, what, what, yeah. what was what was the breaking point there? Well, I think there are a couple things that are worth keeping in mind. One is, and I, I post this. Uh, the very first chapter of the book is sort of the story of the original three point vote in 1979 and what led up to it, or to the degree that, like, kind of, it's a summary of where we were. Uh, mm-hmm when that came into play one of the first points i make in that chapter and i quote a book by um you know what's the guy's name i forget his name he's a a professor of basically he wrote a book about innovations innovation Mm -hmm. and its enemies is what it's called and i thought it was like a really interesting book i was reading that applied and he showed the whole book is about why innovations take a long time Mm -hmm. and you'll see innovations in there that he talks about from that takes centuries yeah, and so for the first thing it is worth noting is that and a lot 30, of like really really logical right innovations still take a really long time. Yeah, so yeah, so the first thing I would say is that in the grand scheme of things, thirty five years 
it's not that long for mm-hmm. some of these innovations. The other thing I would say is I think a lot of it really stems from the controversy of this original vote. It passes by one vote, the three-point line, for a trial basis. There's a significant amount of anti-ABA establishment undercutting mm-hmm. this, where the ABA was the league that had the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that the ABA thought of it as, quote, a home run shot. That was mm-hmm. kind of the terminology that they used, and that was mm-hmm. the terminology that was used beforehand. And when you think about a home run, how often do I mean, I hate to talk about the Dodgers on this podcast. Thanks, but, man. You, you know, I have to do it. <laughs> Wide open wound that now has salt in it. Thank you. <laughs> but how often do the does a home run happen at a baseball game? Like two. Well, now it's more. But, you know, over the course of my lifetime, three or so, two or three was okay. would be like average, I would say. How many pitches are in a baseball game? A ton. <laughs> 250. <laughs> if the equivalent for a three-point shot today would be like a home run every other pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think those are those created some anchoring effects. That's Rob then... Manfred's dream. That's like that's what he's been praying for his whole life. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> The, like even the home run derby does a home run derby have a home run every pitch every no other pitch? not every other pitch no of course not <laughs> yeah. like, like imagine that um yeah. so i just think that that created an anchoring effect and then mm. you combine that with the illegal defense rule being lifted in 2001 that was i think the real first catalyst to like the point where actually how we align the floor actually matters in a way that it didn't matter before when you couldn't zone or double team or half double team and do all that stuff. So I think there's those combinations of factors, I think. And then of course the Suns and then the Warriors come around and they realize that the three point line isn't just, and I think this is actually a really important point. What I think really tipped the scales. And I talk about the Warriors Rockets rivalry in a separate chapter Mm -hmm. of the book. But uh, what really tipped the scales, I think, was that these teams started to realize that it wasn't just that the three-point line was worth an extra point. That that was one thing. It was that the threat of the three-point line suddenly made everything else easier. Mm-hmm. It was starting to reimagine the three-point line as a chaos engine. Mm. I just think once they once teams kind of came to that realization. And I would say that the Warriors were the team that most did it. But even going back to the Suns, that sort of transitional period from like 2005 to before the Warriors win, once teams started to kind of figure that out, that like if we take people out of the lane and just sort of make it so that this three is really scary, we actually make it easier. I think that's why it started to really click. That was the point that I think took a while for the league to figure out. The Lakers are still figuring it out. I'm still I'm still waiting for them to figure it out. One day maybe they'll figure it out. <laughs> is there is there like a I mean cuz you know I joke about the Lakers but you know every story has its protagonist and its antagonist, right? Who do you think was the most antagonist figure to the evolution of of spacing, of geometry and thinking about the sport in that way? Wow, uh, an antagonist, you know, certainly the book is much more about protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, because in some ways, the antagonist is just incumbency, right? Yeah, like that's just, I would say, what are the closest thing I would say to an antagonist is if you go back to that first chapter, most of the 
most well-known, and this is not a huge surprise, but I think it's worth noting that for that that vote passes fifteen to seven among owners mm-hmm. um, for the three-point line. The people that are most against it are like Red Auerbach, Jack Ramsey, just won a title. Yeah, the people uh, who are having success in the current climate, and the people who people looked at it was like those guys know their. Can I curse on the show? Shit, yeah, go for it. Those guys know their shit. Yeah. It's a lot like kind of like if they're the influencers and they're all saying this is dumb, it's only natural that it will kind of go from there as feeling like it's dumb. And that happens a lot when they're like experts. You know, have you heard of the paradox of expertise? No, that is it won't surprise anybody that (laughs) I not being an expert at anything would not know the paradox of expertise. This is good for you. This will this will make you feel better then. Okay, cool. The idea is that the people who are worst at innovating are the people who are experts because all they can think about is that the thing always filters down to their experience. Mm. Expertise further entrenches you into incumbency, essentially. Mm. So if you're asking somebody like what the next big thing is going to be, you don't ask the people who are know what the current big thing is. Right. That's Nick Saban fair. hates NIL, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, the better comparison there is Nick Saban was late to the spread offense, was he not? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, he, he runs a pretty rudimentary thing. I mean, now it's a little different. Everybody is. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so I think that created a bit of a chilling effect. And in similar vein the people that were most against the illegal defense lifting Michael Jordan, Pat Riley, mm-hmm. Glenn Rice said something like games are going to be in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that the game in the stick, like, the exact opposite happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rudy Tom So I think it, the, if you're looking for an antagonist, it's just incumbency is the antagonist with all of this stuff. You know, yeah, and I think especially in sports and especially in the NBA, do you think do you think you have a decent idea now of where things might be heading next having charted the path that got us here? I mean, it would be sort of fool I would kind of be like be foolhardy, super ar- super arrogant to be like actually there's this paradox of expertise thing and then now you're asking me what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, I do think that I do think that um the three point it is plateau is plateauing if not has already plateaued i think we have reached about the upper limit on attempts i don't i'm not saying that like it may not go up more but like i think this exponential growth is basically i think it's stopping mm-hmm. and one of the big reasons why is what ha- i write about in chapter 12 which is i think defenses are starting to catch up mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's necessarily reflected in all the numbers yet but I really think that there is something fundamental happening to defense. I don't want to spoil it too much because it's sort of the last chapter of the book. Yeah. Um, but I think something fundamental is happening where for a long time, defense was kind of torn in by its own incumbency issues and its own conservatism. And I think over the last, I would say even within the last three years, we have seen major leaps in theory and strategy in thinking of defense as more flexible, and it's not just with switching, but switching is obviously a big part of it. Flexible alignments, more collective work in a way that like kind of now reflects the offense that it's going against. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of that, we are going to see 
maybe not like kind of a plateau on threes, but I do think that offense in general is what we saw at the beginning of last year. I think that that may repeat itself in different ways going forward, and we'll see. So bet the under. Bet the under according to yeah. Just don't (laughs) let me put it this way: don't bet the don't necessarily bet a super over. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think we're going this way. Yeah, I think we're maybe have plateau are going to start plateauing. The it's it's fascinating because you know for me, uh, and I used to have this conversations with Adam uh, Mattis a lot on our old show, and uh, what fascinates me, but I don't know, for lack of a better term, almost saddens me, is I think players, teams, organizations are figuring out the sport. Right? They're they're learning how to play the sport in its most efficient way. And I think that is leading now how teams get to playing the sport in its most efficient way and how teams arrive at trying to get the most efficient shots that still offers a little variety, but because teams are starting to figure this out, we are starting to see, you know, these, these sports leagues become almost monoliths with, with, with what the goal is here. And, and uh, you know, it's, I don't know if it would, I would necessarily say, it's made for a lesser product, but it, you know, baseball, I think is the nth degree example of this where defense has been almost eliminated and it was the source of the most entertainment in the sport, diving catches, climbing the walls, turning to all that stuff, stealing bases and catching people, stealing bases is kind of getting eliminated, eliminated from the sport. And it's, and it's really hurt the entertainment value of the sport. And, and I'm just kind of curious, like with basketball, you know, the criticism, especially from former players, is, oh, well, it's only three-pointers and dunks. It's, that's, that's all anybody's trying to do. There's an entire very popular uh, Twitter account that decries any player who, you know, uh, used to make their living off of multiple dribbles in isolation and pulling up from the mid-range not being able to exist. Um, in, in the one? Sport- there's just well, one of those? Well, one really, really major one. I don't feel like naming because I just... <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I was going to say, I feel like they're more than one. There's there's a there's a lot of them. But like you, but you essentially know where I'm going with this is like, you know, do you, do you agree with the criticism that there there isn't quite the variety in, in approaches to the sport that made the sport what was really popular? Basketball, you know, in, in its heyday, you had... The styles make fights where the Lakers played one way and the Celtics played another way and the Pistons played a different way. And, and then eventually we got to Michael Jordan ball and that was a different one. But, you know, do, do, do you do you agree with the criticism of 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 the NBA as it's currently played? The, the simple answer is no. OK, I don't. Um, the more complicated answer is. And I write about this. Think about all. It depends on what you're talking about. Let's start with the player types in particular. Think about all the different types of players that are stars these days. Mm-hmm. Caruso. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's still upset about that one. Uh, it will always be, yes. We're in a league where someone like Nikola Jokic mm-hmm. can play and succeed in the same league as Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And LeBron James and Giannis. And LeBron and Giannis. And, I mean, just Steph Curry's existence alone. Um, Steph Curry, Ja Morant, Mm -hmm. um, Zion. I mean, the the best one, I think, to me is, like, look at Zion Williamson and look at Victor Wenbanyama. Yeah. 
those two guys are are like in the same league, right? Well, and they, that, and they were. It seems hard to believe that that there's a stylistic, you know, on a player level. Yeah, there's a stylistic similarity. Like to me, that ne- that doesn't make any sense at all. I think the opposite has happened. On the team level, I think what's happened, and part of the mo- this is actually what you're talking about is one of the main, the maybe the main motivation for me wanting to write this book. Hmm. I think what has happened is that they, everybody's the game has changed so much over the past 10 years. Like I argue that like for all the talk that we have made that like so much has happened, it's actually way more of a transformation than people realize. Hmm. You have basically taken the court and you have doubled it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not double, one and a half times it. Yeah. I think I had like some sort of a surface level equation in the intro. Like I don't remember exactly what my number was, but like, like average I, distance from the basket that people, yeah, you know, you know, I'm going to just say it real quick. If you met at 94 by 50 feet and 10 high, plus like a few inches of aerial acrobatics, it's something like 13,000 square feet of a playing okay. surface, right? You basically are playing every possession now used to be within like a quarter of that number. Mm-hmm. And now it's about a half of that number. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, give or take. Which That's is a insane. Mi- think That's about how crazy. much more. Think about how much more space you're adding. So yeah. why wouldn't everything change? The- right. So to me, what's happened is I think just things have changed so drastically that it's hard for people to make sense of what they're watching. It may it, everything looks similar in that it looks very different than what we're used to. Do you know what uh, I mean? Oh, okay. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, like. It was we 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 got so used to the notion, especially with Michael Jordan being the icon that he is in basketball, right? The anticipation of what we thought was a star was somebody you can give the ball to on the wing, and he can mm-hmm. go out and by himself, at least seemingly by himself, create thirty points for himself per game. And right. now the concept of a star is all over the place. You just mentioned Jokic, two time, you know, now reigning MVP. And Steph Curry, who, you know, plays a, a, a similar sport, and both those guys have similar impacts on the game around them, and neither of them look at all like Michael Jordan. Right, uh, or so, each other, crucially. Well, right, yeah, either, I either way. The big, the big point is or each other, for yeah. sure. Yeah, Um And I would, I mean, like, the, this point is made very clearly. There's a whole chapter on what is a superstar. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think that's a major factor contributing to all this is that it looks the same because it all looks different, but within that sort of the degrees of that, I think there is some interesting, unique things going on where again, you can have a player like Jokic play and John Moran exist and thrive in the same league playing styles that are similar, but because everybody has like, there's a, there's a moment in one of the books where I talk about like, this exponential asymptote curve mm-hmm. uh, that goes up where like I talk about it with expertise and in, in the court vision chapter, you know, some people, they, they get, they have a lot of expertise and then they level off and then they reach another level, a lot of expertise, they level off, reach another level, a lot of expertise, they level, and so on and so on. This period is at like kind of seven levels above where we were or whatever you want. I, I don't want to say above because maybe you don't like this, but you know, seven mm-hmm. levels, in a different, different. space, mm-hmm. but within that level, everybody's at a different part of the curve. And I think we're still used to something that looks seven levels down here, or whatever mm-hmm. you want to, whatever direction you want to put. And it's now here. 
So I think that's a, a huge factor. And the one last thing I'll say is that to your baseball point, one of the big differences I think is that that why I don't think we're going to have some of the challenges of what you, you seem to be describing that like everybody's chasing efficiency. So it ends up being boring that baseball sort of runs I mean, into. Yeah. Baseball, but baseball in particular, I think I, I, I would say we've arrived at boring, I guess, but, but similar is, is the term that I think is more close to the criticism that I have. Okay. So it's not really about like, kind of, I don't want to watch like everybody just go for home runs and stop playing small ball. That's mm-hmm. the criticism that people mm-hmm. have. I don't think basketball is going to get there because there is, for every action, there is a reaction Yeah, in much more of a way than there is in baseball. Like, I guess there's the shift and all that stuff for the defense, but like it, it's, and pitching, whatever, but the game is a two play on both ends and it's continuous. So if the, and I think we're starting to see this a little bit. I talk about DeMar DeRozan's great season last year as like an example of this. More the more teams start to like kind of figure out like, hey, here's how we can guard out here and in there at the same time. The more that in between area may become more fruitful, mm-hmm. and I do I do think that there's sort of a constant give or take because of the nature of offense versus defense. That I do think that basketball will not fall to the same problems that baseball has had with homogeneity so that's that's my long-winded answer for why i think that the premise is wrong but i understand why it exists yeah i think i think the difference that you're highlighting there that really needs to be um you know really closely examined in, in between in differences between the two sports is like baseball is this series of moments that have a start and finish exactly d- a definitive start and finish. And then you move on to the next moment. Whereas basketball, each moment obviously always flows into the next until the, you know, until you get a whistle or something like that. And more so now than ever before. I mean, that's a huge, we talk a lot about the space element of, I mean, the book is called spaced out, but arguably a bigger, as big a transformation as the pace element. Of mm-hmm. it the game just moves so much faster now. I was going to ask if you were going to make like a, if you were going to have a second book coming out called paced out, you know, (laughs) 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 okay. you tell me if you like, how about this? You tell me if you like chapter five and you feel like there's more there and I'll pitch it around. (laughs) I'll always take more of my creative content. That's, that's, that's the point of all of this. So, Um, well, man, I, I am in. I'm thrilled uh, to to see the the success um, that this book already is. I I have it here in front of me. I can't wait to dive into it. I can't oh, wait. Oh, you for do, it. huh? I, I well, you know, I, I have I have connections. Um, oh, they so. sent you. They sent your copy. Good. No, 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 I don't have the book in in my hand. I have the PDF file. That, and where'd that, you get the? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I'm, I've, I've already started to skim it, obviously, and I can't wait to dive uh, further into it. Um, incredibly proud of of this and the work that you're now doing at, at the Athletic, uh, which you know is is something coming from me, given given what you have done for for Harrison and myself and the people around me as well. So, Mike, thank you very much for hopping thank on. Thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations on this book, man, and uh, and yeah, be- best wishes and 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 best of luck on on this book having the success that I think it should. It's a fascinating subject that that, like I said earlier, it's still evolving. You you might have right. a second. Ver- you're going to have further editions of this book because this evolve that this evolution isn't stopping anytime soon. 
Yeah, I, my editor had to be like, I know you want to put more stuff in on the Warriors winning, but like you can't. <laughs> like I, I finally, I finally badgered him into letting me put a little bit more at the end. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's it's. I appreciate all those are incredibly kind words. Um, you guys keep up the great work that you do. Vox and SB Nation will always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, and just so everybody knows, it's out. November first. Yeah, but I was going to say, plug, plug away, plug away. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Although I, pref- it doesn't make a difference to me where you do it. But I will say that it would be awesome if you bought it at your local bookstore just to, mm-hmm. you know, promote that uh, and kind of keep those afloat. They really kind of keep this industry going. I say this industry. I don't know this industry. I'm still learning this industry. <laughs> <laughs> One book in, you figured out the, uh, yeah. the the industry, yeah. Figured out the whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's out uh, it's out on November first, but you can pre order it. Um, and yeah, I just look. It really, the premise really is like let's relearn everything. Let's pretend, like let, let's start over. So hopefully, I think it's a very different book than what you might expect, and I think you will really enjoy it. All right. Again, that is Mike Prada. He does editing work for The Athletic. He also, again, has book the book coming out, Spaced Out, How the NBA's Three-Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball um, through Triumph Books. Thank you very much, Mike. Best of luck, and I can't wait to talk to you soon. I can't wait either. Thank you so much for having me.